Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I want to invite you to stay updated with me on social media and see what we are doing in the ministry. You can follow me on Facebook at John Wallace. You can follow me on Instagram at Jonathan R. Wallace. And you can follow our YouTube page at New Beginnings Huntington. I pray this message builds your faith and gives you revelation. Let's get ready for the Word of God. All right. Praise the Lord. I want to give you all just another quick reminder. Not this week. This coming Sunday is actually what we're going to talk about today. Reformation Day or, you know, pagans call it Halloween, whatever. But uh, this coming Sunday is not the revival. November 7th. Say November 7th. We're just having some revival meetings. We're bringing a man of God in from Dallas, Fort Worth area. It's going to be seriously wonderful, powerful. Uh, the Lord's just given us a lot of vision that we're going to talk about coming up when He releases us about going into 2022 and, and vision for the church and what we're going to do in this community. And I want to tell you all that really it's so important to be here, not only because I believe that you know, there's men and women of God. The Bible says that we each have a gift and we each have a different gift. And God's so big, He doesn't just give every bit of Himself to just one person. We have different gifts and different, uh, you know, mantles that God's placed on us. And there's actually a ministry or a principle in the Bible called impartation. Say impartation. impartation. You know, and so that's why it's so important to get to meetings with other people uh, it's because you actually receive something in your spirit that the Lord has deposited in them. Uh, and so much of what God has for us in our ministries, in our life, in, in the spirit, in the mantle, the thing the Lord wants to get to us, He's going to use a man, a servant of His to get it to us. Amen? Amen. So you want to be here because you're going to receive something from the Lord. But also, you know, when we come together in faith, and even as we're just sitting here preaching the Word of God and, and we're declaring and we're worshiping, I'm telling you guys, we're doing kingdom business in this place. Things are going out in the Spirit. And, and the Lord just showed me that, that when we gather, there's in the Spirit, if we could see it, there's arrows of the Lord that are going out into Lufkin, into Zavala, into Huntington, into Angelina County, and it's actually breaking down principalities, demonic strongholds, the religious spirit, the things that need to be loosed in this community. The Lord's loosing them when the believers gather together and release the word of the Lord. Amen. Yeah, amen. And so, uh, you know, that's Jesus said that if two people agree upon anything uh, and believe and establish it to be done, that it'll be done. And so, you know, there's also a principle in the scripture about joining our faith together. You don't always have to have somebody, but I want to tell you that two people operating in faith are more powerful than one person just operating in faith, yeah. right? Isn't that what the Bible says? Uh, it says that what one can put a thousand to flight and, and two can put 10,000 to flight, right? So think that that's a huge, that's 10 times just adding one more person. You are able to cover 10 times more effectiveness. Amen. So imagine what three or four or five or six or ten or twenty or thirty believers joining their faith together in unity. Imagine what we could put to flight. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. So come November 7th. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, today, I'm going to do something a little different. And I'm sure you, you pretty much hear me say that like every single week <laughs> at New Beginnings. Uh, Hallelujah. You know, I, was, I almost said, 
New Beginnings Church is like a box of chocolate. <laughs> I don't even need to finish it. Never know what you're going to get. It's true. Half the time, you know, Saturday night, I'm like, Lord, I have been listening to you all week, and I don't even know what's happening tomorrow. And he's just like, yeah, well, you know, that's how the Spirit of God is. You know, and that's, that's the most important thing, too, is when you minister, you don't want to just pull some script up that you typed up a month ago or some message that you preached a year ago. You, you, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The only word that carries power is the word that comes from your heart. Yeah. Not something you recite and you rehearse and you plan and prep and execute and practice in the mirror. The word of God, the word of faith comes from the heart. And that's the word that carries the power of God. Uh, so today, we're talking about the spirit of reformation. The Lord told me to tell you guys a story. The next two weeks, we're going to go through some history. And, and it really bothers me because I want to tell you something, guys. I grew up in a, as a teenager in the church, and I never heard what I'm telling you today. Um, and so it also bothers me that I know that there's probably thousands of churches out right now that are doing the most ridiculous, stupid things that, that, that don't have any significance, you know, sermon series, ridiculous things. When the hour and the time that we're in, we need the word of the Lord in this hour. And so I want to actually share with you a little bit of church history because I'm going to tell you, if most Christians understood where we came from, a lot of the arguments that are being made today would be completely silenced. Um, and you'll see what I mean by that. So the spirit of reformation, I want you to raise your hand in this room if you've ever heard, if you've gone to this church, you probably have because I've preached on it every year for the last two years. But if you've ever heard of Reformation Day, have you heard of Reformation Day? Yeah, some of you have, some of you haven't. Guys, that's, I, I, I'm excited to get into this then. If you haven't heard about this, this is going to bless you. Uh, I'm going to tell you some history and some stories. It's not going to be just traditional message. And I'm going to believe that God's going to impart something into our spirits and impart something into our church by digging up this well. Amen? Amen. And I want to tell you, He does for me because I'm, I'm a weirdo. I love church history. My favorite class I ever took when I was in Bible college was a class called Revivals and Church History. Like, I just, I'm telling you, I sit on the edge of my seat. You can ask my wife. We'll go on a, on a long drive, and I'm going on YouTube and typing in, like, church historians and just listening to them sit on a chair and talk about John G. Lake and talk about William Branham. And, his, and I'm going to tell you, something in me comes alive I mean, they're not up there jumping and shouting and screaming, but I'm sitting there on the edge of my seat with my mouth watering and foaming because I want to tell you this. I just love it so much because the, the, my spirit just jumps when I hear these things because I want to tell you, and I believe you do too, but I have revival in my spirit. Yeah. I have revival in my spirit. And I believe several of you have revival in your spirit too. And so when you hear about revival in history, it, it makes you jump. It's because revival is a part of your destiny. Hallelujah. The move of God is a part of your destiny. And so there's something in you that reaches out and grabs a hold of that and says, that's me. That's when I read about these people. That's me, Lord. Hallelujah. I believe the Lord's going to release that. And that's, that's the 
kind of I'm giving you my whole message, what I want to get to. But that's the spirit that I want released in this church as us reaching out when we hear this and saying, that's me, the spirit of reformation. Y'all, because I want to tell you, not only do we need revival in our country, we need reformation in our country. We need reformation in our generation. You know, revival. uh, And I'll say this again, is that. Reformation is really a product of revival. And so we're all excited for it. And it's good. But the church services where we just the churches are packed and people are hungry and amazing things happen. That's wonderful. Uh, But it can't just stop at a church service. We need actual reformation to take place where a generation changes. So I'm going to talk to you about the Protestant Reformation. Say Protestant Protestant Reformation. Everybody's in this room right now because of the Protestant Reformation. Let me tell you what a Protestant is. A Protestant is any section of Christianity that's not Roman Catholicism. So if you're a Christian and you're not a Roman Catholic, you're a Protestant. You came from the Protestant Reformation. That's our lineage. I want to tell you, as studying the history, this country was actually birthed from the Protestant Reformation. I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to get into the details because it doesn't really pertain to what we're going to talk about a whole lot. But when the Protestant Reformation took place, it changed the Catholic Church in Europe in the 1500s. It completely reformed religion. And so now all of a sudden you have these people that are hungry for God. They want to serve the Lord. They're looking at the flaws in the Catholic Church and they say, we need to escape this dominating power of the Catholic Church in England. And so what did they do? They set sail on the Mayflower and actually came to what is North America, what is now the United States of America, landed in Massachusetts and actually birthed from a place of, Lord, we want we want to build a godly community. We want to build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the right way, according to the Bible, not according to man's wicked traditions, what it had become. That's what our whole nation was birthed from. Hallelujah. So if you're a Christian, you're here because of the Protestant Reformation. If you're American, you're here also because of the Protestant Reformation. So we need to know about these things. Uh, You know, and so again, it's funny. I wrote this, but it says all these pastors say, and, and I know that this may be old news, but they're still maybe not in Texas as much, but in our country, there's still this problem. Pastors say obey the government no matter what. We heard that so much during COVID-19. Shut your churches down. Why? Well, Romans 13. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, it's such an abuse of Scripture uh, and misinterpretation. And it really drives me crazy because it's hypocrisy. Uh, You know, you can sit in a luxury building that's fine and luxurious and huge with all this money stacked up from tithe payers and tell everybody, shut your churches down, obey the government because you're kissing the devil's butt. But you're sure glad that Martin Luther didn't do that and actually protested and stood against the system of his day so that you could be sitting in the church that you're sitting in. It's hypocritical. And I'm telling you from the spirit of God, the Lord says it's hypocrisy. So let's start in the beginning. I'm going to give you some church history. If you read your Bible in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost was poured out. That's when the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2. The church never existed before that. That was God's you know, climax of, of the Scripture, was birthing the church in the New Testament. It happened in Acts 2. 
The apostles carry signs, wonders, and miracles, and they take the gospel to all the areas of the earth. They go out into Asia. Uh, Paul, Apostle Paul goes into the Roman Empire, starts preaching the gospel, getting the Romans saved. And so I want to fast forward. A few hundred years go by. You're looking about the 300 A.D., 300 years A.D., there was an emperor in Rome named Constantine. And so what was happening in Rome at that time was Rome began to fall apart from the inside out. There's some lessons in this, and I want you to write this down if you want to, but any time a nation embraced immorality in history, it falls apart. Look throughout history. Any time a nation embraces immorality, it falls apart from the inside out. So you actually look what had Rome become. It was the most powerful dominating force on planet Earth at the time, but yet it began to implode. Why? Well, I'm not, there, there's several reasons, but one thing, the culture began to embrace homosexuality and it began to destroy the nuclear family. They began to embrace in Rome homosexuality, bestiality, and pedophilia. And it literally destroyed, it rotted society from the inside out. It was very common in Rome for a man, he, was, he could have a wife, but he could also have a, husband, a boyfriend on the side. And not only a boyfriend, a sex slave that was 11 years old on the side. And it, it was so sick and it was so twisted. And I want to tell you guys, that's, I mean, obviously that's sin and it's horrible and it's wicked, but that is not how God prescribed us to live life. And it doesn't work. I don't know why we think we're so smart a few thousand years later that, that we can do the same things and get a different result. The Word of God never changes. I don't care how much technology we have. Any nation that begins to embrace homosexuality, bestiality, pedophilia, immorality as a whole, it will rot from the inside out. That's why we need revival and reformation. That's why we need the church to wake up. That's why we need Christians to get serious about the Word of God. That's why we need Christians to boldly preach and proclaim the Word of God. Because we need people to hear. How can they have faith that they don't hear? How can they know they're being deceived unless a Christian stands up and says, you're being deceived? Really? I didn't even know that. And if they reject you, they rejected Christ too. Our job is not to get people to accept us. Our job is to be a messenger of the Most High God. They rejected Isaiah. They rejected Jeremiah. They rejected John the Baptist, the greatest prophet ever born of woman, Jesus said. They killed him. They rejected Jesus when he was a man operating even as a prophet under the Old Testament. They rejected him. We think because we're rejected... That God's not for us and God's not with us. I want to tell you right now, there's a spirit that's in this world that as long as we're not in a new heaven and a new earth, it will always hate the spirit of God. And that's why Paul said, you know, if I wanted to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. So our job is to deliver the message. Amen. And that's what we need this reformation spirit to have to take place in our churches and in our, in our believers. And so Constantine saw that the, the Roman Empire was falling apart. And then he began to look and say, what can I do? Right. He's just trying to grab anything that he can grab and figure out how can I save our empire? 
We've been the world's dominating force for so long and it's literally falling apart and it's all my fault. What am I going to do? And so he looked and he saw that the only group in the Roman Empire that was thriving was this little cult called the, the Way, the Christians. Oh my gosh, everything else is suffering, but they're prospering. Everything else is falling apart, but look at that little cult. That's what they called the Christians was a cult, the way. They're over there prospering. They're thriving. And so what he ended up doing, people say, was it a true conversion? I don't know. God only knows. But I do know this. There was an effort to save Rome. He saw that it was the only thing that was actually working. And so he declared in the 300s that Rome would be a Christian society. Rome now all of a sudden became a Christian society, but I want to tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't birthed from signs, wonders, and miracles and the preaching of the God that loved, so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. What ended up happening was, you guys are going to be Christians and we're going to take you down to the river and hold a sword to your head like the Muslims and say, be baptized or we're chopping your head off. So can I tell you, a lot of people said, oh sure, okay, whatever, I'll, you know, I'll get saved. But they didn't mean it. And so... What did you have now? Now all of a sudden you have a culture that was pagan, a pagan culture, a polytheistic culture. What does polytheistic mean? It means that they worshipped many gods. Multiple different gods. If, there was, if somebody farted, there was a god for the fart. <laughs> polytheistic god, paganists, polytheism, and Christianity mixed together. And now all of a sudden you have this monster that's born. Anybody know the name of the monster? The Roman Catholic Church was birthed in the 300s from a mixture of Christianity, paganism, and polytheism coming together. You know what the word Catholic actually means? It means universal, yeah, but if you look at another de definition, it means all-embracing. That's what the word Catholic means, all-embracing. Guys, I want to tell you, Jesus loves everybody, but He doesn't embrace all ideas. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Guys, Christians are to love everybody, but we cannot be all-embracing. You cannot tell people, man, well, you, you know, you worship your God and I worship my God. Well, God bless you. We'll both end up in heaven. That's a lie. It's not true. Because not always work. There's only one way that works. Jesus Christ, He's the only way. And so, the Roman Catholic Church was birthed. So let me kind of continue with the story. As time went on, you could, you could see by how it was birthed, that it just got more corrupt and more corrupt and more corrupt. And finally... Uh, you know, when Constantine had, had established Rome as a Christian nation, he built St. Peter's Cathedral, the original one. And so I want to fast forward. The, the history timeline is, is the world, Europe goes into what's known as the Dark Ages. Okay? What was the Dark Ages? It's where Christianity basically almost died out and Roman Catholicism took over and, and the world, Europe was governed by a demon principality of religion for about a thousand years. It's interesting to think about, but you know, during that thousand years, you barely saw any, any breakthrough in medical science. 
You saw hardly any breakthrough in inventions. You saw any break, hardly any breakthrough in technology because the devil, that principality, oppressed Europe for a thousand years and it just kept them staying right where they were at for a thousand years. And so it's, it's interesting, but I was listening to a, a teacher of the Word that studies revival and he says anytime you see revival, you know what you see with it? Breakthroughs in technology. Breakthroughs in medicine. Breakthroughs in science. Breakthroughs because the Spirit of God brings light. Brings revelation. And so they went into the dark ages. And so uh, you're about a thousand years later. This is, this is getting close to about 1500. The 1500s. And so now you have a new pope. And he's looking around at this cathedral that Constantine built a thousand years ago. And he's saying, man, this thing looks like crap. It's falling apart. We can't even use it anymore. It's a thousand years old. He said, I want to build a new St. Peter's that's going to be so magnificent and amazing. And that's the one that we see today. The one that Michelangelo went and painted the ceiling up. That's the one that we see. Well, this Pope, he wanted to build it. But he said, I want to do it, but i got to figure out a way to pay for it. This is where corruption got even worse. So I'm going to give you three major problems that, that began to form in the Catholic Church. So in an effort to pay for this cathedral and these churches that he was building, they began to make up these doctrines such as they began to tell people, when you die, you spend time in purgatory to pay for your sins. That was a lie that the Catholic Church began to tell its people. There's this place called purgatory, and when you die, even if you were saved or Christian or were water baptized, whatever, you don't go straight to heaven. You go to purgatory, and you have to pay for your penance. You have to pay for the sins that you've committed. Well, then now they're like, well, shoot, everybody's going to be in purgatory for two or 3,000 years. That sounds horrible. What did, what did the church come up with a solution? And the Pope said, yeah, but we're going to introduce this thing now called indulgences where we're going to come. And if you give us $100, we'll cut 1,000 years off of your time in purgatory. I'm serious. You give us an, you pay for this indulgence, we'll cut 1,000 years off your purgatory. Well, now all of a sudden, the rich are going straight to heaven, right? But then they took it a step further and they said, not only can you pay for your time in purgatory, but your granny that died that was kind of an old swearing, cussing, dipping, you know, sailor woman. She's got a couple thousand years racked up in purgatory. You can pay us a few thousand dollars and, and the Lord will actually cut time off of her time in purgatory and allow her to graduate to heaven sooner. This was the ridiculousness. Uh, the things that they came up with. Hey, you know, your neighbor that you loved, you just came into money. That's what the priest would begin to do. You just came into money and your family began to copper mine and y'all found some, some money and some wealth. Well, if you give us 40% of it, your whole family's time in purgatory is wiped away and you'll, your whole family will get to go straight to heaven when they die. This was the corruption. Uh, another problem was, well, the, the, the leaders that actually had the Scriptures, which we'll get to that in a moment, knew that that was not in the Bible, right? They knew when they read this thing that it wasn't in there. So now they had to come up with another solution. Well, what are we going to do if someone finds out? Well, then now the Catholic Church introduced a new thing that says the Pope holds greater authority than the Scriptures. Yeah, they, so basically, they could, if somebody were to ever challenge it and say this is what chapter and verse says, 
They would just go and say, yeah, but the Pope has been God's anointed one and he is here to share new revelation to us. So even though the Bible said that, God has changed his mind and this is God's you know, new position on the subject. You can see where that just starts getting slippery really fast, really bad. So he had the ability to write new ideas and it was accepted as Scripture. If the Pope issued a statement, it was accepted as Scripture. This is the Word of the Lord. And then the third problem to, to really keep the people oppressed was that they kept the Bible only written in red in Latin. So it was only to be written in Latin. Any copies that were made of the Bible had to be written, handwritten in Latin. Well, in 1500s, 1400s, 1300s in Europe, nobody spoke Latin anymore. Right? So the Bible, and I want you guys to understand this, we're going to get to the printing press, but there was no printing press. There was no bookstores. They had handwritten manuscripts. And so a town would have one church, and it was this, in that church, you'd have a pulpit like this with a big, thick Bible written in Latin that nobody spoke or could even read because the average person in those days was illiterate as it was. They couldn't even read. Even if it was in their language, they couldn't really read. And so it was chained to the pulpit. They chained the Word of God to the pulpit. And so it could only be written in Latin and then the priest would stand up in a church service like this and he'd open the Holy Scriptures and he would read something in Latin that no one understood and then close it and say, this is what it said. It'd be like me getting up here and speaking in you know, some African dialect or, you know, me open up here and then speaking in tongues and you have no idea what I'm saying and then closing the Bible. The Lord says, you need to give me $200 to shorten your time in purgatory. I mean, seriously, that was the corruption of it. And so, people had to completely trust what their priests said. And so, you know, the Spirit of God, obviously the Lord loves people, and so what you would have throughout history is these little people that would begin to pop up and actually get a hold of the Bible, be trained in Latin, and be trained to read the Scriptures, and then begin to pop up and say, hey, hold on a second, guys. That's not what it says. And then what happened? Killed. Catholic Church, murder them. Martyr them. Kill them. And so... The first one I want to mention because it's going to set the stage for the Protestant Reformation was a man named John Wycliffe in the 1300s. In the 1300s, John Wycliffe translated the Bible into English. Guys, I want to tell you right now, that was, oh my gosh, how dare you take the Holy Scriptures of the Lord and put it in that barbaric language? That was their position. To you totally missed the heart of God. And so he translated the Bible into English. Obviously, they hated him. They wanted to kill him. So he went out into the woods and he started a secret Bible college in the woods. Y'all, I'm sure thankful that these men of God did not read this Bible and say, well, Romans 13, you know, I guess I just have to stop. I guess I can't have a Bible school. Romans 13 says submit to all governing authorities no matter what. No, they went around it and they said, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. I want to tell you guys, even as believers, we not only have a mandate 
to stand up for the gospel, we also have a mandate to stand up for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, Jesus said. So that doesn't, you know, that means that because there's so many things that are happening that are wicked right now that Christians won't get involved with because they're saying it's not a direct attack against against the Bible, right? Against the gospel. When all these lockdowns happen, we're not saying you can't have church. We're saying that you have to go online. Okay, so we're sitting here saying, take a stand. Well, do we really need to take a stand? Is it really an attack on the gospel? It may not be a direct attack on the gospel that Jesus came, shed his blood, and that all who believe have forgiveness of sin and can have eternal life, but it is an attack on righteousness. Are y'all with me still? We have a mandate to stand up for righteousness. So this guy started, a, a, he translated the Bible into English. He started a Bible school and he began to teach people the Bible in the woods, hidden away. I read stuff like that and my spirit jumps. I say, hallelujah, Lord, I want to be like that man. I want to be like John Wycliffe. I don't want to be, I don't need to name drop. But I look at some of the pastors in our generation that are considered great. And I'm like, Lord, when I look at history, I want to be like this guy. I don't want to be like that guy. If all I can do is get people hyped up with a microphone, and that's the epitome of what I do with my life. I mean, praise the Lord, but I want to be like this guy. Starts a secret Bible school in the woods. Surprisingly, John Wycliffe died of natural causes. They weren't able to actually kill him. He ended up just passing away of natural causes. But I want to tell you guys something. He made the devil so mad that 40 years after he died, they dug his bones up and crushed them into powder and lit them on fire and burned them into ashes and then dumped them in a river. That's how mad he made the devil was 40 years after he was dead, the devil still wanted his dank bones burnt to a char. Hallelujah. When I read that, I feel the same exact way. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to be a person that when I die in five years, people don't even remember who I am. I want to make an impact on my generation. I want to be, and you want to be a Christian that when you die, the devil's still sitting in hell stewing about your life 50 years after your death. Oh my God, I hated Kim. I hated Sarah. Ooh, you know, every time you, he hears the name Sarah, his skin jumps. Oh, God, I hated that lady. <laughs> you know, the, the, the people that were, they were so dumb, they dumped his ashes into a river because they were trying to like, their, their hopes were, they were all ethereal and mystical and like the people, Zodiac people of the day, you know, try to get their horoscopes and stuff. They thought, well, you know, there was still so much happening from this man's life 50 years after he was dead. They thought if we can get rid of his remains, maybe this will all stop. And they dumped it into a river. And they dumped it into the wrong river. The river that they thought they dumped it into, they thought it just went into like a stagnant body of water. But the river they actually dumped it into went into the ocean and went across the entire world. <laughs> Hallelujah. It was prophetic. So the next guy that rose up in the 1400s was a man named John Huss. He was an English man. Again, he got a hold of the Word of God. 
There's one thing you're going to see throughout history that's the same in all of these people. They got a hold of the Word of God. And the Word of God, with no massive platforms and megaphones and microphones and smoke bombs and stage lights, the Word of God alone was enough to change history. When a man or woman gets a hold of the Word of God and faith and actually believes what it says and says, Lord, I'll stand for this Word no matter what it costs me. If I'm the last one, I'll stand for this Word no matter what it costs me. This English man named John Huss in the 1400s, he got a hold of the Word of God. He popped up. He began to tell people the same thing. This was about 100 years later. Guys, what they're telling you is not right. It's not in there. So what they do? They drug him out into the middle of the city and they burnt him alive at the stake. I don't want to say this as well, y'all. I am a prosperity preaching person. I believe the Word of God. I believe in the blessing of the Lord. But in the same breath that Jesus promised us blessings, He said, along with persecution. If you are a believer, you will be blessed if you're doing it right and you will be persecuted if you're doing it right. Hallelujah. So as he was dragging him out, as they were dragging him out into the middle of the city, he began to prophesy, and this was the words that he prophesied, John Huss. It's recorded by the people, his followers, they, they stood by and, and he said, a man is coming 100 years from now that you will not be able to kill or stop. And they burned him at the stake. 100 years later, a man named Martin Luther was born in 1483. He lived till 1546. He was a German man. Martin Luther. Say Martin Luther. Y'all don't even understand that, you know, even Martin Luther, you think Martin Luther King. But Martin Luther King was named after Martin Luther. You know, and that was a prophetic destiny as well because even Martin Luther King's father knew, was prophesying over his son that he would be a reformer, that he would bring reformation to his generation. Because of Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation. So Martin Luther, if you study his early life, he was actually a German man who hated God and was in school to be a lawyer. There's actually journals of him saying as a man, like a young man, I hate God. But I want to tell you, he actually didn't hate God. He hated the God that they had taught him about, who was not our Lord Jesus Christ. He was a false God. He may have had the same name, but he was a false God. Hallelujah. I speak that out right now in Jesus name. Y'all, there is people right now that they surrender their lives to this person they call Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not the God of the Bible. It's not the same Jesus that sits on the throne in heaven. It's a false God that man's created and then we call Him the same name. But it's not the Jesus of the Bible. There's a lot of people that, that surrender their life to Jesus, but they, Jesus said, many will stand before Me on that day. Didn't we prophesy in Your name? Didn't we cast out devils? Didn't we do all these things? He said, depart from Me. I never knew You. Are y'all still with me? Martin Luther was born. He hated God. He was in school to be a lawyer. So one day, he's this young man. He's walking out in the woods and a thunderstorm catches up with him. 
And in these days, again, the Catholic Church, what they would do to manipulate people was they would say that when there's thunder and lightning, that's God's anger, you know, being poured out over that city. And so that's what he was taught. And so he thought all of a sudden there's lightning and thundering. He thought, oh, my gosh, God's trying to kill me. And so lightning actually struck right by where he was standing and it knocked him back. It's recorded in history. And he got on his knees and he began to cry out. He didn't cry out to Jesus. He didn't even cry out to Mother Mary. He cried out to St. Anne, who was, you know, they say that was Mother Mary's. This is what they believe, Mother Mary's mother. And so he began to cry out and say, St. Anne, if you allow me to live, I promise I'll become a monk. That was his prayer. <laughs> because they didn't have pastors in those days. They had monks. They had nuns. Um, it was very different. And so... You know, he did this. He became a monk because he was a man of his word. And he found himself extremely depressed. He found himself always at odds with God. He had a genuine heart to know God. But because of the religious system of his day, he had no ability to know God. But he wanted to know God. He wanted to be made right with God. He was so hungry and passionate about being in right standing with God. And so he was so depressed, finally his overseer said, go to Rome. It'll help you out. Go spend some time in Rome. And they thought he'll go over there and see St. Peter's and you know, the big Roman Catholic church and it would encourage him. And he would get his little fire back to be a good Catholic monk. Well, he went over to Rome. He walked all the way from Germany to Rome with his friend. And he gets there and it, it gets worse. He's more depressed. Because he sees the, the priest sleeping with the town prostitutes. He sees the stuff that's going on behind the doors. And he says, this is not the church that I love. This is not the church that I want to be a part of. And so they had 26 steps in Rome at that time where they believed that they were the 26 steps that Jesus walked up before he was tried before Pilate. So, you know, the religious thing they would do is they would go on each step and they would say a little prayer and then go to the next step. And they believe when they got to the top, they would receive a blessing of, from the Lord that way. Martin Luther does it. He climbs each step. He gets bloody knees and bloody elbows and he gets all the way up to the top and he stands there. And guess what? Nothing. Wow. Because that's not the way that God works. You can't earn his grace. You can't earn his favor. You can't earn his approval. And Martin Luther was actually about to understand this. There's one thing that he did receive. It says it's recorded that when he got to the top of these steps, he had a thought that came into his head. And the thought said, the righteous shall live by faith. He's like, the righteous shall live by faith. Where did that come from? It was a whisper in his spirit, in his mind. And so, he goes back. They say, well, he's still depressed. They say, go back to your hometown and we're going to give you a little congregation. You know, they say the building, it was like probably maybe a little smaller than our church here. A little congregation. He was going to be a local priest and professor. And so he goes back and he's just so distraught. He's depressed. He's trying to be made right with God. Uh, you know, that's, he, he would actually take whips and begin to mutilate himself and whip his body and, and chastise his flesh because he thought if he could suffer like Christ, he would gain God's favor. Y'all, and I want to tell you as well, I heard a man of God say this, and I'm just going to repeat it, but we don't have to suffer. He suffered for us. Yeah. Right? Like, 
Don't, even when it comes to sickness, right? Like Christians think that we're wearing a badge of honor because when we get sick and, and, and the devil puts these things on us and the Lord's teaching us through something, he was whipped so we could be healed. He suffered. He became poor so that in Christ we might become rich and receive the blessing of the Lord. He took those things. We don't earn any favor with God by suffering the things that Christ already paid for. Are y'all with me? And so he's sitting here, he's depressed. And guess what happened? Now he had been trained in the scriptures. And now he had access to a Bible. He was an official monk. So guess what happened, y'all? He began to read the Bible. Oh my gosh. The first scripture that he read, and let me just give you this for historical accuracy, the town that all this took place in was Wittenberg, Germany. Wittenberg, I don't know how they say it, but in Texas, I'll say Wittenberg, Germany. So he, he actually went to Romans 1.17, and this is, he only got part of a verse. The first verse that the light bulb came on in Romans 1.17, it says, For it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. He only had half a Bible verse, and the light bulb went off, and he said, the righteous, the just, shall live by faith. Hold on a second. Wait, I don't have to whip myself to be right with God, to live a life with God. I have to have faith. He got the revelation of faith. He was the first, the, the first, the first <laughs> faith preacher. Amen. Not necessarily. I mean, Jesus, obviously. I'm talking like in modern church time after the dark ages. Martin Luther was the father of the faith movement. He, that was his whole message. The righteous live by faith. Amen. Hallelujah. So now all of a sudden he had this light bulb and the fire of God came inside of him. He had such a hunger. He began to read the Bible. And then he started doing these things. It, it's actually recorded. We're going to talk about the 95 thesis that he wrote. But before he wrote a 95 thesis, I just recently discovered that he actually wrote several papers before that. So the month before, and I'll get to this point in the story, that he nailed the 95 thesis to the Catholic door, he actually nailed a 97 thesis the month before that in September. It's really funny. So basically, he began to read the Word of God. So in September 1517, Martin Luther nailed a 97 thesis to the Catholic door. Uh, as he began to read the Word of God, things came alive and he began to challenge the system of his day. Now we're going to talk about Reformation Day. Say Reformation Day. Reformation Day. Reformation Day took place on October 31st, 1517. Y'all, I'm so thankful as Christians. I'm telling you, there's Christians that spend their whole life and all they ever celebrate is Halloween. But they don't understand that God redeemed that day 500 years ago. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the Catholic door, challenging the authority of the Pope, challenging the doctrines and the authority of the Catholic Church. And it birthed what's known as the Protestant Reformation. You know, it's really funny. There was a lot of innocence in what he did. 
because he actually didn't know that it was that it was going to cause a whole revolution. So you have to understand during those days when you're a local professor or theologian, that's how you challenge people publicly. You would you would put a thesis. Basically, a thesis is like his 95 theses were 95 points that he wanted to make and then say anybody who wants to challenge me can challenge me. I know all the pastors nowadays, you know, we should just love and we should never really rock the boat and we should never. Man, I'm sure glad that while you're sleeping in your nice home tonight, that Martin Luther was willing to have a spirit to confront the system of his day. Yeah, amen. Well, we all, let's just all, you believe what you believe and I'll believe what I believe. I'm so thankful and I know I have the, I have the same spirit. I believe you do too, but that's just not good enough for me. It's not good enough for me to know the truth and to live my life. I know the truth and it set me free. And now I want you to know the truth. And I'm not okay with you not knowing the truth. Yeah. I'm not okay with a generation going to hell and being too afraid to say anything because we rocked the boat. He nailed the 95 thesis on October 31st, 1517. So what ended up taking place? I'll get to this. Uh, let me look at my notes and see. So the, the reason why, why October 31st? It wasn't in some redemption to Halloween. I don't think they really even practiced that in Germany where he was at at that time. Uh, the reason that he did it was because the very next day was called All Saints Day. So what was All Saints Day? November 1st was a, a holiday that they celebrated called All Saints Day, where basically for them it was like our Christmas and Easter, right? Where everybody, whether you're saved or not, everybody goes to church on Easter. Everybody that hasn't come out of the woodworks for an entire year, they'll show up for the Easter service and then they go home and that's what you do, right? That's what they did on All Saints Day. So I, uh, Martin Luther went the day before and nailed it to the front door so that the next day, everybody in the town that was going to do their little religious duty and come to church that day would see it nailed to the front door and read what it said. I love that spirit, guys. I love that. We need to get back to that. That's a reformation spirit that God wants loosed in the body of Christ in this hour. So, the main points of his 95 thesis, he was challenging the sacraments or the indulgences. He was challenging the sacraments. He was challenging the indulgences. He was challenging the Pope's authority. I don't know if you've thrown up there, but have you put the picture of Martin Luther up? Did you get those? Put the picture of yeah, the 95 Thesis. I don't know if he really looked like that. Maybe he was a little <laughs> bit more pudgy. Martin Luther. Hallelujah. I look at that man and I say, Lord, that's not a very pretty man. If you can use him... <laughs> There's hope for me. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't got to look like Stephen Furtick to impact a generation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> so he challenged the Pope's authority. He challenged the sacraments. He challenged the indulgences. So he really did it innocently. He was thinking, I'm going to put this up and, and you know, either somebody will debate me and if they don't, it'll just kind of die out. Well, y'all, I'm telling you, there was something at the same time, the Spirit of God began to stir something in the people of that generation. They were already thinking it, and now somebody finally stood up and said it. Yep. 
Everybody was already thinking it, but finally a man had the boldness and the courage to stand up and say what everybody else was already thinking but was too afraid to say. So these people came and saw this 95 thesis nailed to the door and they read it and they said, oh my gosh. That's the thing that I've been thinking for the last 30 years but would never say because if I said it, I'm going to hell. And so what did they do? At this time, at this time in history, an invention had just come out called the Gutenberg Press. It was the first press where we were able to go from handwritten documents to being able to stamp and press and manufacture and pump out copies of documents and copies of books and copies of letters. And so somebody liked what they saw and they said, you know what, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that 95 thesis and let's go run it through the Gutenberg press and just begin to hand it out to everybody. So honestly, Martin Luther didn't even know what was happening at first. Uh, because, you, again, people were kind of illiterate in that day. So if you could read, what would take place is they would get a copy of Martin Luther's 95 Thesis and then go to the town tavern and begin to stand up on the tables and begin to read his 95 Thesis to the people. And then the people are jumping and shouting and throwing their German beer everywhere. And oh my gosh, that is so amazing. And so... Martin Luther sitting back here saying, oh my gosh, I just got myself into some doo-doo, big time. Because it began to stir in the hearts of the people and the, the material began to spread all across Europe and it actually made its way to the Pope. Guys, it made its way to the Pope. There was no cell phones. There was no USPS postal service. There was no Instagram or Facebook or email. It was word of mouth, hand to hand, person to person. That's the impact that this man had on his generation. That the, the, the words that he wrote began to spread through the people like a wildfire and went all the way from Germany organically to the Pope in Europe and Rome. Hallelujah. And so at first the Pope reads his thesis and they say, oh, he said this, really it's documented. This is just a drunk German monk who made a mistake. He'll sober up and fix his mistake. That's what the Pope said. This dude's just a drunk German monk. He don't know what he's talking about. He probably drank too much beer one night and that's what the Germans do. That's why the world still celebrates, you know, Oktoberfest and, and stuff like that. That's what they did. And so he thought... Uh, you know, he'll, make it, he'll, he'll fix his mistake well. Martin Luther, as I said before, he, he had not only released his 95 thesis, the month before he released the 97 thesis, and I want to tell you all, once the Word of God got in this man's heart, he didn't stop at the 95 thesis. He began to continue to teach and preach the Word of God, and they would take his writings and his teachings and run it through that Gutenberg press, and it would go through the people like wildfire. So now all of a sudden, another document comes to the Pope, and then a third time, another document comes to the Pope that's basically slapping that principality right across the face, frontwards and backwards, and the Pope is thinking, who in the heck does this guy think that he is? Hallelujah. Did you guys know that God can use a man to change a generation? God is not bound to our gifts and our abilities and, and who we think that we are. God is looking for somebody to use. 
that will say, here I am, Lord, send me, use me. And by your faith and obedience to do what he tells you to do, he will go out into the spirit and smack the devil right in the head. Yeah, I want to tell you, this wasn't just some little demon spirit. This was a demonic principality that dominated Europe for over a thousand years. The, the history still defines that time as the Dark Ages. And all it took was one man with half a verse of Scripture to stand up in faith, and the Lord went, boop, and popped a hole right in it. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so, by the third time, the writings hit the Pope. He said, I'm going to send a messenger to this German monk and tell him he must stop immediately. So here comes this messenger from Rome with these documents. And they go to Wittenberg where he's at. And, and he shows the document saying, the Pope demands that you stop right now. Martin Luther publicly in front of everybody says... The Pope, forget that guy. And he took his documents and he threw it in the fire right in the middle of the town. <laughs> Guys, this wasn't the United States of America where we're all just entitled, you know, and, and people can run their mouth to police officers and act how they want to act, and there's like basically no repercussions. People had been burned alive at the stake for doing much less than what this man was doing. So I don't know, I, it, it, the Protestant Reformation started in innocence, but I promise you, at some point, because again, they didn't have email, this took months and years, this was a few years before he was finally tried before the Catholic Church, where he continued to get in the Word of God, and the Word of God continued to build his faith inside him, where he transformed into a man of God. That went from, hey, I just accidentally started this thing, to I'm going to stare this devil right in the face, and... and and show them that I'm not going to be intimidated. Yeah. So, there's a historical event that took place. It's called the Diet of Worms. The diet basically means assembly. You read Diet of Worms. What the heck is that? Were they eating worms? <laughs> no, diet meant assembly. And Worms was a place in Germany. That was the name of the city. So it was basically where the council came together to try Martin Luther for his opposition to the, to the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church. So eventually, y'all want to tell you the kind of man that this man became, was he was a man and a voice for the people. And so he, I, I imagine at some point he crossed the line where he said, I may give my life for this, but these people need somebody. This generation needs a Joshua. This generation needs a Moses. This generation needs somebody to rise up and do what nobody else is willing to do and say what nobody else is willing to say. Yeah. And so eventually he went to the hearing. No, he'd probably get killed for doing it. But it was like everybody knew that it was going on. And as he went into that room, all the people gathered around and had their ears pressed to the door. And, you know, they wanted to see what he was really made of. Is this man going to stand before the authority and cry and beg for the Pope's forgiveness and recant everything that he said? Or does he really believe what he said? They were hoping, please, please let this be true. Please let this word be true. And so they brought him. And the first day of his trial, they asked him. They had all of his writings laid out. And they said, did you write these things? And he looked at them and he said, yes, I wrote these things. And they said, recant everything that you said. 
And he looks at him and says, okay, give me 24 hours to think about it. Hallelujah. And I'm so thankful. This is, a, this is a model for what we have to do, the same thing. He went back to his lodging that night and he began to seek the Lord and he began to get back into the Scripture. And It's recorded. He said he battled with Satan that whole night. He got no sleep. I don't think that, you know, these kind of guys, they weren't just metaphorical. I think that he really, the same way that Satan appeared to Jesus, and he, I think that he had a battle with a demon principality that night. But he says that he got back into the Word of God. And he was just like, I mean, he was like, Lord, I just want the truth. I don't care who's right. I just want to know what's right. And so he got back into the word of God and he went back to that verse in Romans 1.17 that says the righteous shall live by faith. And he came back and said, I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong according to this. And so he came back to the, the next day. They laid out his documents. They said, recant what you said. And this is what he said. I'm going to paraphrase it. But it's recorded. He said, if you can prove to me by the scriptures alone, then I will recant. But if you can't, then I change not. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let that kind of thinking and spirit get on the inside of you. If you can prove to me by the scripture, not by the Pope, by the scripture alone, I'll change what I think. But if you can't come to me with chapter and verse, I change not. Let me ask you this. What gave Martin Luther the power to do this? You could say, well, the Lord, obviously, but deeper thought here. What gave Martin Luther the power to stand this way? The Word of God. Look at Matthew 7, 24-27. It says, Anyone who listens to my teaching or my words and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and wind beats against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. What's the bedrock? It's the Word of God. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on the sand. When the rains and flood come, the wind beats against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. The Bible says that the Word of God is a strong foundation. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is alive and powerful, and it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Guys, the Bible is alive and powerful. As Martin Luther began to read the Word of God, something went to work on the inside of him and came alive and gave him a boldness from the Most High God to stand against the devil and the demonic principality of his time. The Bible says in Romans 10.17, Faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? By the Word of God. Martin Luther overthrew this principality the same way the people in the Bible did. Look what the Bible says. This is Hebrews 11, 32-34. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, say by faith. By faith. These people overthrew kingdoms ruled with justice, and received what all that God had promised them. 
By faith they shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the flames of fire, they escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength, and they became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. How did they do that? How did they do that? By faith. Where does faith come? By the Word of God. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the message or the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes the Jew first and the Gentile. The message, the word is the power of God. Jesus said, I don't live. Matthew 4.4, I don't live on bread alone, but every word, say a word, that comes from the mouth of God. The Word sustained Jesus. The Word sustains us. I wrote this and I said, most people will stay weak because they never do the thing that will make them strong. Listen to me again. Most Christians stay weak because they will never do the thing that will actually make them strong. What is that thing? Consume the Word of God. There's so many people that are trying to wish their way into victory, wish their way into their promises, the promises of God being fulfilled. I wrote this, stop trying to wish your way into victory. Stop trying to worship your way into victory. Well, why? why? I'm not strong. Well, what, you're not strong because your relationship consists of a five-minute K-Love song you listen to on the, on the way to work. Faith comes by the Word of God. I'm just going to worship until my problems go away. It doesn't work like that. I said stop trying to worship your way into victory. Don't even try to only, say only, only, pray your way into victory. Get in the Word, get faith, and take hold of your victory. Christians stay weak because... They don't consume the Word of God. Y'all, Martin Luther changed the world with half a verse of Scripture. What does that tell you what a believer could do? If this man could shake a devil principality that ruled for a thousand years with half a verse of Scripture, look what God can do with a person that actually believes half a verse of Scripture. Not just says, I believe it, but was actually willing to go to their death for half a verse of Scripture. What could God do? Guys, that's why I'm telling you right now, we are in the hour of the greatest awakening in church history. You know why I know that? Because of the access God has given the people of this time to His Word. No other people in human history have had access to the Word of God like we have access to the Word of God. We have all of the tools to be the mightiest army of the Lord that history has ever seen. And in fact, I'm going to tell you, the Lord's showing me through Scripture, the greatest revival that the earth has ever seen, it's going to happen in the last days. You know, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost was poured out, you you look at Acts 2 and the birth of the church, the Lord actually showed me, He said the, 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 the revival that happened on the day of Pentecost was actually just a type and shadow of the end time revival that's going to take place. Yeah. You know how I know that? Because when you read in Acts chapter 2, it talks about 
the blood, the moon will become red and, and the star. He begins to use the same language that Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 24. What is Matthew chapter 24? It's the signs of the end times. So what does that mean? That the revival that Joel 2 was actually talking about, it, we saw a picture and a type of it in Acts chapter 2, but it's actually reserved for the last days. Get, does that excite you? Yeah. You, you don't have to holler. I, I'm not really a hollerer either, but I hope that word comes alive in you. Hallelujah. Get in the word, get in faith, and take hold of your victory. Y'all want to spend some time for a moment. I'm going to break this into two weeks, so I'm going to cover more of this story next week. I hope you come excited. I hope that even just listening to this story today, as I said, something in your spirit reached out and grabbed and said, Lord, there's destiny in this for me. There's destiny in this for me. Lord, I believe that, that I'm reserved for a time on this earth to do things like your servant Martin Luther did. Hallelujah. Press into the Lord for a moment. I want to pray and I'm going to turn this over to Brother Tanner in just a second. I want you to just begin to press into the Lord. I'm going to release some words. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you for strength in your body. Lord, I thank you for a spirit coming alive in Christians today. And the Lord wants to impart this to you. That is not afraid to take a stand. Listen to me, that's not afraid to be controversial. Lord, I ask that that boldness would come into the body of Christ in this hour where we'd be people not afraid to rock the boat, not afraid to be controversial, willing to stand, even if it costs us our lives. We will stand for the truth. Lord, I ask, start here in Huntington, Texas. We don't want to be a 2021 church. We don't want to be a modern Christian. We want to be a Bible Christian. We want to be... We want to pick up the mantle of those that have gone before us because the Bible says that we are surrounded by a huge, great cloud of witnesses, of men like Luther, of men like Apostle Paul who gave his life, of men like Apostle Peter who was crucified upside down. They gave everything, even not even loving their own lives to the point of death for the message of the Gospel. Lord, I thank You that that weak, pansy, passive Christianity is getting broken out of the American church in the mighty name of Jesus. I prophesy now for mighty warriors of the Lord to rise up in Jesus' name. Lord, I release by the Spirit of God that the Lord told me He's raising up in time harvesters. What do I mean by that? The Lord told me there's a difference between an end times pastor and a 2002 pastor. Different breed. There's a difference between an end times prophet 
And just like a normal, an end times evangelist, an end times apostle or teacher, the Lord says that I am raising up an army of harvesters. You believe that? If that connects with your spirit right now, I want you to receive it. The Lord is giving you a double portion. The Lord is giving you the Lord. A word that we spoke a year or two ago was accelerated harvest. The things that the generations before us had to spend lifetimes learning, lifetimes cultivating. The Lord says, I'm going to pour it out on this generation in an accelerated rate, just like Jesus turned water into wine. In John chapter two, a process that should have taken years and years and years, 20 years to cultivate the pure, sweet wine. Jesus turned that water into wine in one moment. And the Lord said, I'm going to give. My children, supernatural revelation. I'm going to give my children revelation that doesn't just come from living a life, a long life on the earth. It's going to come from heaven. And you're going to know things that are beyond your years, says the Lord. You're going to know things beyond your experience, says the Lord. Hallelujah. The Lord is raising up prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, But I also want to say this as well. The Lord is is raising up a different breed of a covenant man and woman of God. You may say, I'm not called to be a pastor or prophet or any of those things. I'm just called to work at the bank. The Lord says, I'm going to pour my spirit out on you and you're going to be graced and anointed. You know, the thing about the average Christian is I want to release this word as well. God's going to prosper you in your workplace. A major part of what the Lord has for you to do if you're not called to the fivefold ministry. And even if you are, the Lord will still use you. But He wants you to prosper on this earth and He is going to use you to finance the things that He's going to take care of in yeah. this generation. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. You know, I haven't got to the point of the story and I'll get to it next week, but Martin Luther, as he left that trial, he was, he was actually pulled uh, some men stopped his carriage and pulled him into the woods, into a hidden castle. And they basically preserved him. They fed him. They clothed him. They took care of him. You know why? Because there was some duke of that territory that had some money that had a heart for God. Yeah. That protected the man of God. That sustained the man of God. That housed the man of God. That supplied the man of God. And I'm going to tell you next week, the, the amazing thing that, that impacted the world forever that Martin Luther did while he was in that castle. I'm telling you right now, the Lord is raising up some of you. The Lord is raising up some of you. He said, you're going to house the ministry of the Lord. I want to prophesy that even in some of your businesses, the Lord says, if you'll commit it to the kingdom, he says, I'll use you to build entire churches by yourself with no help from anyone else. I I believe that we're coming into a time where believers, they're going to be able to write six figure tithe checks to the kingdom of God. And it's like, Lord, this isn't even everything I have. This is just a tithe from the surplus, from the abundance that you've brought to me. The Lord says that I'm going to prosper my people. I'm going to prosper my people. That's a part of your destiny on the earth. He says, don't take it lightly. Take it seriously. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Men and women of God are going to raise up godly children, not like children of this generation, godly children. 
that will serve the Lord. And I want you to hear me say this. Prophet Robin Bullock said that our children will always be a product of what we either did or didn't do. We can get offended by it, but it's just a reality. And I want to prophesy the word of the Lord says, if you train a child up in the way that they should go when they're older, they will not depart from it. I speak that out right now in Jesus name. That the children that are being raised up in the ways of the Lord, they are not, they're not going to have a testimony of falling away and falling into the world and going through 10 years of addiction and 10 years of abuse and then they finally get saved and they live a half put together life. No, they are going to be raised up in the house of God and they will prosper from their young ages. They will serve the Lord for all the days of their life. They'll serve the Lord in their 20s. They'll serve the Lord in their 30s. And God will use them in a mighty way. Y'all receive that word? Say, I receive that for my children. Say, I receive that for my grandchildren. The Lord says the righteous shall never be forsaken. So He says if you commit your life, you commit your children, you commit everything in you to righteousness and to my word, I will never leave you hanging, says the Lord. It is impossible for you to be cast down when I consider you to be the righteous. Hallelujah. The Lord says it doesn't matter what man pulls a mat out from underneath you. (laughs) Your provision won't come from man. Your promotion won't come from man. Your open doors won't come from man. The way the Lord says I have prepared a way. Israel's deliverance didn't come through Moses. Guiding them through and hiking through, you know, and figuring out some little. No, the Lord split the Red Sea. The Lord says, I have made a way. You believe that? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, the Bible says, don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff at prophecy. The word scoff means to hold in low regard. The word stifle means to extinguish a fire. That's what the Greek word means. So just receive these words. I'm going to, we're about done. It's, it's 1210, but I don't know if there's anybody in here you're thinking, man, we just got something to do. I'm, I'm telling you, I got to fly out to Tampa here in a little bit. My wife's probably like, honey, let's get going. But the word of the Lord, the Holy Ghost is releasing things. Yes. Y'all want to tell you what happens when a word of God is released. Things come to fruition. When God said, let there be light, light came from the darkness. And so when these words are being released, these aren't my words. These are the words of the Holy Ghost that he's speaking these things. And these things are becoming realities in your life. It's opening up things in your life. The Lord's opening up paths. He's opening up ways. He's opening up provisions. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the spirit of reformation in this church. Hallelujah. Lord, I, literally, I pray that spirit would rise up, that we will love anybody. We'll give the shirt off our back to anybody, but we will never stoop down into this Christianity that's just best friends with every devil spirit that's around the block. We will not do that. We will stand for your word. We will stand for righteousness. If we're the only ones left standing, we will stand, Lord. We will stand, Lord. 
Father, I thank You for bringing people that are hungry into this house. Yes. I wanted to prophesy this as well. The Lord told me to do this and I'm glad I just remembered it. Something that happened in the Protestant Reformation, if you, if you, if you think about this. I told you that it was birth and Martin Luther didn't even mean to do it. What does that tell you? He wasn't up there preaching and screaming and trying to get people on board. People were hungry for the Word of God. Most times today, if there was a 95 thesis written, most Christians wouldn't even look at it because it takes too much time to read. If it was nailed to the front door right now, we wouldn't even look at it past the first two lines because it takes too much time to read. Lord, I release hunger in this generation. Hunger in this generation. Because I believe that great preachers are already on the earth, but they, the Lord says they've been covered up in this season. I was walking down my driveway praying, and I saw a magnolia tree that I've never seen before. And it was big, it was beautiful, and I was like, Lord, I passed by this every day, I've never seen it. And he said, because it was covered. He said, because of the, the season that you were just in, it was the summer. So the vines covered it, the bushes covered it, the shrubs covered it. But the season has changed, and that stuff has died back. And now the tree that was always there has been revealed. There's treasures in the earth now that are alive now. Great ministers of the Lord like Martin Luther, like John G. Lake, like Smith Wigglesworth. They, they may be sitting amongst us and the Lord says, you, maybe you're in an incubation period where we need to prophesy hunger in a generation. And He said, when the season changes, you'll be revealed. Yeah. Hallelujah. Y'all receive that word? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for tuning in with me as I shared the Word of God. If you would like to become more than just a casual listener and want to give to our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. For credit or debit, go to www.nbchuntington.org donate. For PayPal, you can send it to NBC Huntington. For Cash App, use dollar sign capital NBCHTX20. Thank you so much. I pray God blesses you abundantly. Until next time, this is John Wallace.